Hello, welcome to the FilmPulse.net podcast. This is episode number 114. My name is Adam. With me today, we have Kevin. How are you doing, Kevin? I'm doing alright. This week we're going to be talking about some of what we've been watching before getting into two feature reviews. This week we'll be talking about the festival film Circles, uh, which is screening at the Bosnian Herzegovina Festival in New York City coming up uh, next month. And then we'll be talking about Blue Ruin, which hit theaters and video on demand this weekend. And finally, we'll be going over this week's movie predictions and DVD and Blu-ray releases. First up, uh, before before we get into what we've been watching, I just wanted to quickly mention a couple things. Uh, first of uh-huh. first of all, the the trailer for Richard Linklater's Boyhood came out. Did you watch this? I did not. I did not. It's pretty good. I'm sure you can guess why. <laughs> well, you're gonna have to see that movie. I mean, I like, there's there's really no way around it. Like, well, I got through it last year without doing the link later. Yeah, you did. So I, I'm, but see, it seems like he's he always does that every year, and I feel like he's doing it just for me. Well, see, be- before midnight was excellent, and I loved it, and it was one of the year's best movies on my list. But with Boyhood, it's just one of those movies where there's nothing like it there's just nothing like it out there and it should be seen just for that fact alone hmm. now like i i don't think it's i'm not like a huge fanboy like there's a lot of people that are like oh it's a it's a masterpiece and it's one of the best movies ever and i i don't think it was i think it's a, a little overly long and the the actual plot i found to be pretty mediocre like there wasn't a lot new there other than the fact that it's the same people over 12 years, which is insane. Yeah. And I think that that's reason enough to see it. But I also have a feeling that other directors thought of that and then they were like, no, that's just, it's a bit much. Well, I mean, there, there is the, the, those, um, seven up documentaries that came out and they're all the way up to 56 now. So, (laughs) so I mean, it's not like this thing is, has never been filmed before, but the way that Linkletter does it is is different, and it's to me it was a little bit more interesting than the Seven Up because with Seven Up it was like every seven years, like that yeah. was the whole shtick with that. And by the time you get to Fifty Six Up, a lot of the people decided they didn't want to do it. So there's like some years where some of the people are not in it at all. So mm-hmm. there, there's there's still a little bit of a disconnect with that movie just because it's every seven years, not every year. Yeah. And so with boyhood, the progression, the age progression is much more, um, gradual. So it's, it's really interesting to see how things change over time, <laughs> but either way, it's a, it's a really good trailer too. So recommend checking that out. That's why I wanted to mention it. I guess. <laughs> Um, now, now I didn't see a whole lot of stuff this week uh, for two reasons. Uh, mainly, I've been playing a lot of Elder Scrolls Online. So, for those of you listening, if you're playing Elder Scrolls Online, look me up. My name's <laughs> at Zombie Farts. <laughs> I don't know why, but that is one of the funniest things I've heard this week. <laughs> no offense, it's just... Uh, Elder Scrolls. For whatever it's, reason, that is just uh, two funny words. Have you heard of this game? No. It's, uh, but it it's, sounds hilarious. Is it hilarious? Pretty, 
It's pretty fun. No, it's not hilarious. Uh-huh. I mean, sometimes there's some crazy bugs that'll happen in the game that are <laughs> hilarious. <laughs> but <laughs> it's pretty fun, though. I mean, um, you know, it's one of these giant MMOs, so it requires a lot of time commitments. So I've been playing it as much as I can. Mm. And I also got caught up on the show Hannibal on NBC, yeah. which I am so amazed with what they can get away with on that show. <laughs> what a lot of shows can get away with now on TV. But I mean, it's Hannibal, just... it's like, it's on NBC, you know? It's like, it's not HBO or even FX or AMC. It's like, this is NBC. And they're showing some of the most graphic, horrific things. And I gave up on the show in the first season. Like, I, I had like three episodes to go with the first season, and I just kind of lost interest in it. The The main character bothered me because he has this, he's mentally ill, and it just, he would have these like really vivid, crazy hallucinations and stuff. And I just, I don't know, it, it got to be too much for me. Yeah. But I decided to go back to it because everybody was talking about how crazy the second season is. So I got caught up, and it is crazy. Mads Mikkelsen as Hannibal is incredible. I mean, whoever cast him as Hannibal deserves, uh, I don't know, a pat on the back. <laughs> We're doing that. An attaboy. <laughs> Gentle pat on the back. <laughs> uh, it's, it's excellent, though. Highly recommend it. And really quick, the second season of Orphan Black started on BBC America, and I also recommend that yeah, one. Yeah, that sounds like something that I need to get into. I've been seeing a lot about that lately. It's nuts. I mean, the, the only thing I remember from it is when that was what that first came out when we were in South by Southwest, and I was like, "What's up with all the Dead Ringer posters?" Oh yeah, <laughs> why is there That's Dead right, Ringer posters everywhere? That's right. So the, it what? left it. You know, it immediately put a bad taste in my mouth because they just completely lifted. But it's it sounds like it's pretty good. It's crazy, man. It the 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 main actress plays six different roles and. That a lot of times there are like multiple roles in the same scene, so she'll yeah. be like three or four different characters in one room, and it's one of those things where it's most of the time it's done so seamlessly that you don't even think about it. You don't even think mm. about the fact that this is the same person. But sometimes, like I'll just kind of step back and be like, "Holy shit, this is just one person. <laughs> this isn't separate people," because all of the personalities. And all the characters that she plays are completely different. I mean, like, she plays, like, a Russian girl, someone from the UK, someone from America. It's all different personality types. And she does it so well. Like, you never think for a second that this is the same actress just acting like these other people. Is it? So this is the Tracy Ullman show? Is this what you're talking about? No. <laughs> no. Not not the Tracy Ullman show. Not the Tracy Ullman show. Okay. Nope. Nope. I'm it's, glad we got that cleared up. It's done in a much um, <laughs> different way. A little, a little more serious. Yeah. The Tracy yeah. Ullman show. Okay. Yeah. So definitely recommend checking that out if you haven't yet. Orphan Black. It's there are two episodes in to the second season now, and it's it's really good. I like it. it keeps you guessing. You don't really know where it's going to turn, what direction it's going to take, and it gets pretty crazy, so 
See, and then now, because I'm an asshole, I'm just thinking that it's Dead Ringers done by Tracy Ullman. <laughs> well, when you see it, I think you'll you'll realize that it is not. I like that idea, though. I would like to see that. I'd I'd be okay with checking that one out. I mean, what's what's Tracy Ullman been up to? I don't, I don't know if she's done that much. What she had that Showtime show for a little bit? Was it on Showtime? I don't Can't know if remember it was on Showtime, Showtime or HBO. HBO. Yeah, that was like a while ago, though. Yeah, it was a couple of years back. I want to see more Tracy Ullman. All right, so what have you been watching this week? Oh, I watched. I only watched two films outside of the two feature reviews they were doing, but they did add up to six hours of movie watching. And any time that I watch two movies that are three, both of them were essentially three hours long. I just I have this. I don't know why I do this, but it feels like um like I'm not getting enough bang for my buck. Because I immediately think like, oh, six hours, I could have watched like four movies instead of two. <laughs> but uh, one of them I'm really glad that I did watch, which is Hard to Be a God. And this is a Russian sci-fi movie by Alexei German. Uh, this ended up being his last film. He actually passed away during like a really lengthy editing process. This film took like 12 years to make. Six years of filming, six years of post-production. Um, it's based on uh, a science fiction novel written by, oh, I can't remember their names. Uh, either way, they wrote uh, Roadside Picnic, which ended up being the basis for Tarkovsky's Stalker. And they actually mm-hmm. wrote the screenplay for Stalker. So the main premise here is it's, I mean, it's really soft sci-fi. Is There's a faraway planet that's stuck in the 13th century. They're stuck in medieval times. Uh, the Renaissance has passed them by, and what they seem to be, you know, obsessed with is killing any literate person, anyone that shows any amount of intelligence, artistic skill, anything. So they completely wipe out all of those people. So Earth sends a group of scientists that go there and just sort of observe, catalog things, bring the information back. So there's one. It centers on one guy, Don Ramada, who. He's sort of seen as a god on this planet. <clears throat> and he it spends, you know, probably two two hours, forty five minutes of him just living on this planet. Now so, I actually real quick, I started watching this. So did you? I didn't finish. I'm only because we had to record, but I'm two hours into this. You're two hours into it. Okay. So it's just him sort of living on this planet. And the the cinematography it's kind of bizarre where it's this mixture of just documentary, documentarian style, like reportage type camera work, where a lot of the characters that live on this planet or, you know, well, essentially all the characters will actually like mug to the camera or acknowledge the camera. A lot of fourth wall breaking, but it's not it's not overt. They just sort of look at the camera that you know that it's there. <clears throat> Sometimes they talk to the camera. Yeah, sometimes and, they and do there, talk there to there the were camera. a few times, I don't know if it was intentional or not, but there were a few times where I you could see the cameraman's hand sticking out and moving things aside and stuff too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's it's very very interesting and the camera work alone is unbelievable. It's like I said it's that mixture of documentarian style. You have these elaborate long takes that are just astounding. And then you also have these where it's like littered throughout these little brief respites of like static camera work, 
you know, like long wide angle shots, just like, you know, I don't know if it's just like taking a break for like reflection or whatever it is, but it's just, it all culminates into this just unbelievably beautiful experience to watch. Well, and, and well, the, it, it is, it's a bit slow. I will, I'll give you that. It's definitely slow. There's not a lot going on within the first two and a half hours or so, but just the scope of this film, I mean, the, the setting, the world building that went into this is just insane. The costume design, everything is just unbelievable to me. Uh, yeah, uh, I'll completely agree with you there. I mean, it is, I mean, this is like the definition of an epic. I mean, it, mm. it's ridiculous. And I think that you're, you're forgetting one of the biggest parts of this movie, and that's that it is the most disgusting, oh, <laughs> gross God. thing you will ever Dude, see. There, people are hanging from gallows, like, all over the place, and they pour this weird, like, sparkly lacquer on them. You have, I don't know how often you see shit in this movie. There's a lot of shit. There's a lot of piss, there's, <clears throat> shit, there's yeah. vomit, there's blood, every every type of bodily <clears throat> fluid you can think of. But it does seem to, it's very shit-centric. They're, yeah, they're I mean, like the, rubbing it on their face. Yeah, they're rubbing it on their face. It's everywhere. <laughs> there, I don't know if you got to it, but there's a point towards the end where this little kid walks up to a dead corpse laying on the ground and actually scoops shit out of like the ass crack. And he's like walking around with it. I don't know what the hell that's about. There's a lot of uh, there's a lot of like scooping and picking things up and carrying things around. <laughs> Un- unnecessarily so. Like I don't. It's just like random too. Like they just randomly scoop up mud and guts. But it's and... <laughs> you could sort of look at it. It's like it's art house idiocracy. Like think if the Renaissance never happened, you killed off all the intellectuals. So the only people that are really left. Or the dollars, which probably would be very shit centric. Well, yeah, that's that's kind of the thing. (laughs) That's the other point is that this is it's extremely absurd. Like it's it's all done in almost a uh, comedic way. Like it's it's goofy. A lot of it's just plain goofy. And that's sort of the thing that you got to take into account. Like Don Ramada just has to. He's just there, and he can't interfere. That's like one of the main rules: is they can't interfere violently. They can't help out the weak. They can't help out, you know, the people that are being oppressed or persecuted. They try in secret to sort of smuggle some of these guys out, but for the most part, they can't do anything. They just have to watch, and it is very absurd at times because, you know, like we sort of pointed out, it's it's run by dullards. So just imagine an entire society. It's not that hard to imagine, I guess. <laughs> but think, think of like worse than now, like a lot, lot worse. Like if there's no intellectuals at all, no voice of reason ever, and just imagine what it would be like. And yeah. it's it is absurd, and it's disgusting, and it's brutal, and it, it shit gets real at the end. Yeah, I well, I haven't that. I haven't got there yet. I'm I'm at exactly the two hour mark so because it what it comes down to is you know he's a god and he's left with two options you either just abandon the people and leave them to their devices or you wipe them out Mm -hmm. really the two options that you have yeah it's uh it's definitely one that 
I don't think you will ever forget. No. <laughs> no. That definitely won't happen. But this but, is a this is a ten out of ten for me. Because this is just this is like top tier filmmaking in my eyes. You know, the camera work, the the amount the attention to detail that went into this, the choreography with the shots and just everything, you know, with the, the character movements. It's just it's unbelievable. Technically speaking, yeah. Yeah. I mean I'll, I'll I'll agree with that. I do think that it is. I mean, I still have like almost an hour to go and I'm like, I'm feeling it. I'm like, all right. Yeah. Let's, let's get it moving here. But, and again, I, I will completely admit that, you know, the story's a little bit lacking. I will definitely grant you that. But knowing me, you know how I am with camera yeah. work and everything. So I'm completely just enthralled the entire time because it's just every movement. I'm like, oh my God. Yeah. Oh my God! Look at that. For for fans of uh, like long takes, this is mm. definitely one to check out. Because the the thing that's impressive is there's so much shit going on at once. Yes, and you're just like, holy crap! There's like swords flying everywhere, and fire, and people running around, and shitting, and <laughs> vomiting, and pouring water everywhere, and pissing on each other. And you're just like, holy crap! Yeah, there's just you know people walking in and out of the frame, just oh my god it's 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 a visual delight if you can get past the shit and piss and vomit yeah i mean it's and mud it's, yeah and mud a lot of <laughs> a lot of mud no plumbing so you can imagine what that's gonna be well, and, like and keep in mind when we say shit there's a, like towards the very beginning of the film there's a guy that he's executed by being drowned in shit yeah so you got that going on yeah there's a lot of crazy stuff and in this the the device that they use to execute the the whores oh jesus looked oh my god oh it looked horrible anyway i do recommend checking this out i i don't know what do you know anything about like release dates i do not but i I know this is a a festival screener but yeah i mean this like i said in the beginning it took 12 years to make and this is a guy that's been making films for 45 years, and he's made six. And this ended up being his last film, which it actually ended up being finished by his wife and his son. Because, like I said, he died during the post-production process. Well, uh, I would say if you're, if you're a big fan of cinema, I would seek it out and see it when you can. Yeah, if you're looking for light entertainment, stay far, far away. Yeah. Well, speaking of kind of absurdist filmmakers, I saw a movie called Jodorowsky's Dune. Finally got a chance to see this. Uh, this was uh, produced by friend of the show, Trav Stevens, directed by Frank Pavich. And it basically just tells the story of what could have been mm. possibly the biggest, most epic, most masterful film ever. And that is when uh, Joe Dawarski got his hands on the rights to make Dune, the book. And it just goes through. I mean, it's so crazy. Like, he made, he got, he assembled his crew. And his crew was made up of freaking ridiculous talents in the industry. Like, he got H.R. Geiger and Chris Voss to, to do, like, artwork and stuff for this. And it was just this... The cast, like, he got the whole cast together and everything. Like, Mick Jagger was going to be in it. And um, uh, not not Christopher Lambert. 
<laughs> uh, David Carradine is who I was thinking. Oh. <laughs> you got uh, David Carradine, um, Salvador Dali was going to be in it. Jesus. And yeah, so he assembled this like amazing cast. He had all these great artists working with him on it. And he assembled this giant hardback book. I mean, like thousands of pages. He storyboarded every single shot of the movie. He had everything completely finished and they, he, he couldn't get it sold. Like he, anything he would do, he could not get this movie sold. So it ended up just kind of disappearing until David Lynch got his hands on it. Mm. Mm. And uh, mm. so it could have been. Yeah. Well, the interesting thing is it's like we can, we can see, we can visualize what kind of movie this was because he has so much stuff on it. So like a lot of the concept art is done, like a lot of the set sets, set designs and spaceships and all that stuff were all drawn out. So we can see what they would have looked like. Yeah. And because they have all the storyboards done, we can even see what it would have looked like on film. So it was interesting in the way that they made the movie because they animated the storyboards. So you get to see a lot of that stuff. Uh, and then there's some great interviews. I mean, Jodorowsky is the biggest part of the movie, obviously. And he, I've never really seen any interviews with him before. And he is a character. I mm-hmm. mean, he, he mm-hmm. is like... Mm-hmm. He just seems like the coolest, funniest, most lovable guy. Did which he is wear, funny when, when you see his he, movies, because it's like... Hmm. <laughs> did he at least wear clothes for this interview? Yes. He, Good. Yeah, he did. <laughs> for uh, The Dance of Reality, there was one interview where he did it naked. Eh, that's funny. Well, uh, he his son, who was in El Topo, who played his son in El Topo as well, was going to be in dune and he had his son train with a, a martial arts master uh for for six years straight <laughs> seven days a week <laughs> oh my god so wow. you get an idea actually i don't i don't know if it was six years i might be getting my years mixed up but i just a long hmm. time so he did that plus in the dance of reality he had a woman he directed a woman to piss on the same son's face <laughs> Yeah, well, I just this... wonder. I wonder. <laughs> He's just laying in bed and just thinking, like, what does my dad really think of me? It's a complicated relationship, right there. Yeah, it's. I'd say it's an interesting relationship, but either way, I would definitely check this out if you're a fan of the book I, Dune. I can't wait to. I can't wait to watch this. And I was really curious to see if they talked about Lynch's Dune, and they do. So that I, I was. Do they shit really, all over Lynch's Dune? Um, well, I don't want to really... Because oh, okay. to me, that was like that was a surprise the, to see. Okay. To get Jodorowsky's opinion on that and all that stuff. So it was it was interesting. Uh, but I highly recommend checking this out. If you're a fan of science fiction, if you're a fan of Jodorowsky, go see it. Looking forward to that one. You should. Well, I am. <laughs> God. Cool it. Uh, I watched a... Cinema classic, which is reportedly one of Ebert's favorite movies of all time. That's 1960s La Dolce Vita by Fellini. And you know I'm a Fellini fan. Yeah. I like how you said that. I like how you, <laughs> <laughs> I like how you answered. <laughs> and 
because of my love for The Great Beauty, which I saw a little while back, you know, everyone was comparing The Great Beauty to La Dolce Vita. And I was like, you know what? It's high time that I scratched La Dolce Vita off of my list of shame. Got to do it. I'm a Fellini fan anyways. Why haven't I seen it? So pop it in. Number one, it's like close to three hours long. So yay. <laughs> and well, if that make, that means it's better because it's three hours long automatically means that it's better. And it's not. <laughs> it's not. Uh, yeah, it ended up being three hours of just probably how you feel right now watching Hard to Be a God is how I felt watching La Dolce Vita, where I'm just like, oh, there's nothing happening. There's just nothing going on. I mean, it's... He, the narrative structure of the film is interesting for 1960, where he does... It's sort of like episodic where it goes through like night, dawn, day, and then it'll do like another day, and then it'll skip ahead years. Like towards the end, it just seems to skip ahead from the second to last to the last segment, seems to skip ahead like 10, 12 years maybe, who knows, but it doesn't really tell you how far ahead it's it's skipped. And Marcello Mastroianni plays a like a gossip colonist, uh, journalist type guy who, you know, is out late nights, you know, hooking up with ladies all the time, sort of womanizer. He's got a girlfriend at home who's, of course, your stereotypical melodramatic suicide queen, which is just unbelievably uninteresting beyond belief. <laughs> and every every scene that they share together, you're just like, shut up. You guys are terrible for each other. Just stop. Stop this. And unfortunately, that took up a good number of scenes. The cinematography, of course, is great for Fellini films. So it at least kept me in there a little bit with some of the camera work. It starts out with uh, two helicopters, one helicopter carrying a Jesus statue over top of Rome. Oh, I remember flying, that scene. Yeah, just flying I've through. I've seen that. Yeah, it's amazing. Fellini knew how to start off a film, I'm telling you. And then there's the whole uh, Trevi Fountain scene which is fantastic, but there's uh, there's a couple scenes that seem just really, really fake. There's one with Mastriani and Eckford where they go up to the top of the church and they're sort of like looking out over Rome, but you can tell that it's a fake backdrop and it just looks horrendous, just absolutely awful. Every time that they're driving in a car, you can tell you know that the entire background is fake and they're just sitting in a still car and they're doing the ridiculous exaggerated steering wheel movements <laughs> which just just looks terrible there's so many just god awful um acting performances even mastriani himself isn't isn't really that convincing as this like playboy wannabe and then when he gets to the end he actually becomes a little bit interesting in the last sequence where he just he loses it he becomes a cynical asshole and it's this party that he's at and he just he has this botched attempt at just creating an orgy, but no one's really listening to him, and he just looks like a pathetic piece of shit. And he's interesting in this sequence, but at the same time, everything that you saw before it, like this character development or this arc that he takes, just seems completely out of place. It's, I, it's just a huge disappointment, which is, I never thought I would say that about a Fellini film, but it was. It was a disappointment. Yeah, that's a shame. The only other one I saw was God Loves Uganda, which is directed by Roger Ross 
Williams, and it's a documentary about evangelicals from the West heading over to Uganda to do missionary work over there. Ooh. Yeah. And it was interesting. The reason that I watched this, uh, because we follow Variance Films on Twitter, and they mentioned something about a slew of one-star reviews popping up on iTunes, despite the fact that this has a 100% on Rotten Tomatoes currently. And it, hmm. it made me seek out these reviews. So I went and looked, and it's all like these evangelical right-wing Christians who are leaving these like just vile reviews saying about how you know, this is just leftist propaganda, this isn't true, all this stuff. So it actually made me want to go ahead and rent this movie. <laughs> so I did. And while I do agree that it is certainly left-leaning, and I think that it is somewhat manipulative, you can't hide the facts. You know, like, basically, it it looks at how the these missionaries... in particular the IHOP, the International House of Prayer, has basically gone oh, and take, taken over. Well, see, pancakes. that's the funny thing. Like, <laughs> nobody, d- d- does, does no one realize that IHOP, because in the movie, when they're talking to people from the International House of Prayer, they call it the IHOP. And I'm like, do you people not realize that there is already an IHOP? Like, well, it's, it's funny, because <laughs> as soon as you started talking about the film, I'm looking at a, a two-star review where one of the lines says, no one from IHOP is telling the Ugandans to beat homosexuals. And I'm like, what the fuck does the International House of Pancakes <laughs> have to do with homosexuals? Yeah, it's uh, so it's the International House of Prayer, which is one of these giant, like, megachurch conglomerates. Uh, that, that makes more sense. That makes more sense. So, it's interesting because you can draw parallels between this movie and Jesus Camp. Like, Jesus Camp... What that was kind of looking at was how the evangelical right targets young kids. And indoctrinate them. And, and that's how they plan to take over the world. And oh. <laughs> I'm kidding. But Is that what they're doing? I'm kidding, but no. I'm okay. Um, <laughs> and that's one of the reasons that they're targeting Uganda. Because the population of Uganda... 50% of the population is under 15 years old. So they're going yeah. over there and they're targeting the youngsters and getting them to convert and, you know, devote their life to the gospel and all that all that stuff. And what's happening is they there's this backlash against homosexuality there because according oh, yeah. to the gospel, you know, homosexuality is wrong and it's a sin. So <clears throat> You're having these these missionaries go over there, preach the gospel, get people to convert, and then you're having all this violent backlash against uh, people that are advocating for homosexual rights and things like that. Mm-hmm. And I do agree that the International House of Pancakes is not trying to <laughs> make make Ugandans be violent against one another, like. And I don't think the movie is trying to imply that either. But I do think that the movie's trying to say their agenda in going over there and doing this is causing a lot of political turmoil and strife in that country. Yeah, you. Well, I don't want to get into a whole thing, but you got to be careful when you're, you know, trying to instill these 
viewpoints into people because sometimes they go a bit far with it. Mm-hmm. It's 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 dangerous. And I don't, you know, and I don't necessarily think that missionary work is is bad. I don't know enough about it and what they do and how they spend their resources to really have an opinion on it one way or the other. But it does seem like what they're doing over there is very counterproductive and causing a lot of problems for people. I mean, people are getting killed because of this. Yeah. And that indicates a problem. I mean, maybe what they can do instead of... uh, Maybe they can just say, look, violence isn't the answer. Like, just simple. You don't have to... You don't have to come out and say, hey, you know, being gay is, is cool, because I know they wouldn't go that far, but they could at least say, don't be violent to one another. And maybe that would help. I don't know. Well, also, got to keep in mind that, I guess, well, never, I don't want to get into it. It's, <laughs> only... it's, 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 it's a tough, touchy subject. And... Yeah, it is a, it's a touchy subject, and but it's, it's one that... My viewpoints, I've learned over the years that if you are religious, I seem to really piss you off. So I I try not to talk about that as much as I used to. One thing I will say about this movie, and as far as the film itself, it it's fine. I mean, there's nothing amazing about this movie from a from like a documentary standpoint, like how it's made. It's pretty. Yeah. Pretty standard, you know, talking head documentary, a lot of interviews uh, on both sides. And I I felt like they presented it in a pretty fair way. But again, I'm not an evangelical. I I think that evangelical Christians probably look at this as some sort of attack on them. Yeah. I mean, do they at least give the, the evangelical right, you know, a voice? Uh, yeah, like a voice to actually yeah, like absolutely you know, give their point of view. Most of most of and who they do interview. They, do they immediately put their foot in their mouth? Yeah, I mean it's like <laughs> most of who they interview are people from the International House of Prayer and and the missionaries that are heading over to Uganda. Okay. So <clears throat> it's 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 very much like Jesus Camp in that so, Jesus Jesus Camp was very plain and simple. They just yeah. film the people at that camp That's <laughs> so it. it's sort of like that snl skip where they twist their words by you know just showing them verbatim yeah pretty much yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, that's one of the things that i just fucking love i love it and, so I, and again i am sure that there is a there's a good there are good things that come from missionary work i mean i'm they, these people bring health care and schools and things like that to these third world countries and, and help them. And, and they gen, I believe that they genuinely do help people, but there's also this caveat, you know, it's like, Hey, we'll give you a school, but you know, it's gotta be a Christian school. Yeah. Then why and, don't you uh, go ahead and hate uh, homosexuals too? Yeah. That'd be cool. While you're at it. Yeah. <laughs> And, and, of course, it also talks about the, the fact that in Uganda right now, I don't know if there's been any progress or updates on this, but they were. Uh, there is a bill that makes homosexuality against the law. Like Yeah. So. I can't remember if they passed that or if there was a, another last country. Because I, I know I that a, an African country just passed it, and I do remember seeing, uh, like, a picture of, like, this in, 
you know, this whole uh, class of school children, you know, they were like 12 years old or something, holding up banners like, oh, yeah. Obama, Obama, don't tell us what to do. Yeah, that's, on this. yep, that's the kind of stuff that was in this film. So. Yeah. So what I would that, say, it, 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 well, that's funny too, because what the fuck do 12 year olds know? Well, and, and that's why the, well, I, I don't I don't want to get into it. I don't want to step on any toes. That's it's a just... whole that's a whole other <laughs> podcast. That is a whole other beast. <laughs> I would say check it out. It troubles me that these, you know, one star reviews come in. I mean, if you see the movie on iTunes or whatever and you like it or if you think that it's powerful or in any way um uh like positive, give a good review for it. You know, make be be the other side. Be the other side that doesn't hate homosexuals? Yeah. <laughs> that doesn't hate another human being for no reason whatsoever? Exactly. So Fucking ridiculous. God Loves Uganda. It's on video on demand right now. All right. I think we can go ahead and jump into our first review. Let's do it. Which one's first? Uh, we'll do Please. circles. We'll do circles okay. first. Uh, I'm not even going to bother trying to pronounce the director's name. I apologize. Zerdan. Zerdan. Golubovic. Zerdan Golubovic. This is a Serbian film. Not that one that you're thinking of. <laughs> no. It's kind of funny. That... <laughs> equally as depressing. Well, maybe not equally, but uh, ha- well. depressing. Depressing. It's funny, though, because now, from now on, because of that movie, anytime <laughs> you say a Serbian film, you immediately think of that movie. <laughs> yeah. Marketing geniuses. Uh, so this is going to be playing at the upcoming Bosnia and Herzegovina Film Festival in New York City. I have a plot synopsis here. Five people are affected by a tragic, heroic heroic act. Twelve years later, each of them will have to confront the past through their own crisis. Will they overcome the guilt, frustration, urge for revenge? Will they do the right thing at all costs? This is based on a true story. Which and now, is even more depressing. Yeah, but really, watching it, I was like, how much of this really happened because to me while i liked the film i felt like there was a lot of coincidence happening in this movie like i think well i think the the original the original event that sort of sparked everything was the true event that's what i kind of thought and then everything after that is just sort of you know like you and said, i also read like a, i read a couple of reviews on this and a lot of people were like Oh, how how they did the the thing where they didn't show you the event until the very end, and then the whole time you were trying to figure out what happened. But I knew what happened the whole time. Like well, I, I I didn't think that there was any question of what happened. And I, I yeah, I agree. I knew you know what happens. Well, the if you see the but poster, it was, it's on well, the yeah. poster. What is interesting though, because they you know uh, the one the one uh, perpetrator. Just sort of allude to that. I guess they were. There was a trial, and they, I guess they ruled it as an accident. Mm-hmm. So that made me like, okay, maybe, how question it, it. Yeah, how exactly did everything play out? And then when you see the final scene, you're just like, how the fuck was that ruled as an accident? Well, because I'm sure during that time, I mean, it, yeah. the same yeah. reason that that was allowed to happen in the first place, you know. Yeah. Um, so basically it's, the film is structured sort of like, uh, sort of like crash in a way. I was going to say, it feels a lot like, 
uh, I have no idea how to pronounce his name. 21 Grams, Amoris oh, Paris. Yeah. You know, where it's sort of like this ripple effect, which mm-hmm. I like how they use circles instead of ripples. Well, that'd be stupid if the name is Ripples. <laughs> ripples. But it was funny because I'm like, why is it called Circles? And then when the father's like explaining, he's mm-hmm. like, this, when you throw a stone into the water and the circles emanate. And I'm like, you mean Ripples, right? You're talking about Ripples. <laughs> I don't think anyone's ever called them Circles. Well, they make circles, I guess, sort of, if you look at the shape. Well, also, there's there's several things in this movie that are, like, overt, like, oh, yeah, I see where you're going. Like, at the end, when he forgets the cigarettes, and he's like, hey. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it made me it made me realize, like, if, if it weren't, if he didn't forget those cigarettes that very first time, none of this would have happened. Yeah, yeah. which is. And they make, sh- and they make sure you know that. Yeah, it is, it is one of those things, that it, which it does happen in real life, these very, very small of course currences yeah. you know things that you're like oh well, that doesn't mean anything these trivial things turn out to have huge implications it, it's just like that gwyneth paltrow romantic comedy sliding doors wait what sliding doors yeah sliding doors i think that's the name of it it's the one where she it's like two different perspectives and it's like all based on whether or not she made it onto this one subway car Oh, that sounds awful. Yeah, that's why I said it. <laughs> uh, well, I don't know if Circles was awful. No, no, no. I, I wasn't. Okay. No, I was. <laughs> I just, I, I just mentioned sure. I mentioned sliding doors in an ironic way. It was Circles was actually quite good. I thought that the strongest aspect of the film was the acting, the performances. Yeah, the performances were quite good. I thought that they were all very, very well done. And I like I like the conflict, the kind of inner conflicts that, that the film showed off. You know, like with the father um, employing the son of one of the perpetrators and yeah. the, the doctor working on one of them. And I liked all that kind of inner turmoil that the characters were dealing with. And I thought that they did it in a really um, interesting an effective way. Yeah, I that's the thing with circles is it's not it's not revolutionary. It's not something that you haven't seen before, but it is I think it's very um brilliantly crafted, beautifully composed story and the way that they do it, you know, cinematically speaking with the camera work and everything. But yeah, it's I mean, you've seen it before, but it is done quite well. And like you said the performances are really what drive the story. And especially the conflicts of it. It was, I have to say that it was very rewarding to see that uh, Harris was such a nice guy. And, you know, it immediately understood how much, you know, the debt that he owed to Marco Mm -hmm. from the beginning, which was just, it was nice to see. It's nice to see that positive. I thought that cinematography wise, it looked, looked fine. Uh, There was one, very small scene that stuck out to me probably something that no one will ever even think of but it's the scene right when the operation begins it's near the end of the film and he's in washing his hands and he goes into the operating room but the camera stays yes. fixed on the sinks and yes. you can and through the door you can see mm-hmm. them beginning the operation for some mm-hmm. reason that shot just 
really stuck out to me. You can't. And I was just like, wow. The funny thing is, is you can't see me, but I'm fist pumping right now because <laughs> yeah, I enjoyed that... that as well. It's if uh, if I could describe the camera work, think Austrian static tableau shots, but done with handheld. Yeah. So it creates a little more intimacy than the cold detachment of Austrian German films, but not that much more because it's 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 pretty steady handheld mm-hmm. camera yeah. work. Yeah. But I don't have a whole lot to discuss with this movie really. And I wasn't surprised with the ending. I like there were there were a lot of people that were kind of praising it for not showing the end and saying that that was something they were kind of acting like that was something different or new. And I've seen that many times before, like where you don't, a big event occurs, but you don't see that event. You just see the aftermath. And it, at the end, we get to see what caused this. And that's, that's something that I've seen before. Now that's not to say that I I felt that it was lazy or wasn't justified. Cause I think that if they did show the event right off the bat, that it wouldn't have as much of an impact. No, no, it wouldn't have. But at the same time, I just didn't find that to be very, you know, revolutionary. Yeah. I think I think that was the only thing that kept me intrigued a little bit is that the one guy does say that, you know, there was the trial and it was ruled as an accident. So I thought, you know, maybe there was some sort of like scuffle and something. I don't want to give too much away. Right. So I was like slight, like a little bit surprised at the end, the way that it played out. I knew you obviously know what happened or what the end result is, which I think is sort of their way of showing you that it doesn't really matter how it played out. Someone died because and of there, this And also a lot of that has to do with uh, the the people around him during the event like especially the, and, his doctor buddy and like and, his yeah, doctor buddy's reaction during that i think that that was another powerful moment with that ending is they didn't really focus too much on the brutality that was happening right. it was more focusing on it, i mean fact, it's in it's in a public square and there's people everywhere and the camera just sort of focuses on these people that just go about their lives I would hope that if that was happening to me, that you would intervene. <laughs> That's what I was thinking about the whole time. Like, how could he not intervene? I I don't quite get it at all, honestly. But then again, it again, you know, we we live in the United States, so our whole mental makeup in that type of situation is completely different than I have no idea what it's like in Serbia. So maybe if I grew up in Serbia, I would be terrified to mm-hmm. do anything. You know what I mean? I like I can't really speak on how I would react in that situation. Yeah, like, of hypothetically course. speaking, in the U.S., yeah, I would jump in there. I'd be fucking elbowing people in the face, kneeing people in the throat, like a superhero. <laughs> but it, a I lot mean, of th- a lot of throat kneeing. <laughs> yeah, but who knows? Maybe if the the situation actually happened, I would just be standing there pissing myself. Who knows? I, yeah. You don't. You don't know until that moment actually occurs. What yeah, but you that, would that do. I was still yelling at the screen during yeah, that, I, during I, that yes. scene, though. <laughs> exactly. Of course. I, I I really hope that like if that happened to me, that I would react differently. That I wouldn't let myself down. That I would just stand there and be like, "Oh, but guys, stop." Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> Uh, so any, any final thoughts on circles? 
I enjoyed it. I'm looking forward to more of his films. I actually, because of this, I want to see The Trap, which is the film that he did before this, which apparently was just as uh, critically acclaimed as Circles was. So I'm excited to go back and watch that. Very cool. I think we're going to be covering some more films from this festival uh, in in the near future, so keep an eye out for that. I'm going to give Circles a... I'll give it a 6.5 out of 10. Mm, I'm going... I go... I go seven. I could see six and a half, though. Yeah, I mean, it, it was. I mean, I, I'm in between I, I six and a half, seven. I don't have a lot of complaints about the film. I just didn't feel that it. It didn't really stick with me too much. Yeah, it didn't. It didn't blow you out of the water. Yeah, and again, I will say that I sometimes I felt like okay, this is this is like because what are the odds of all these things happening at the yeah. same time with these characters? Yes. yes. And and I just for some reason in some movies I'm I'm. Yeah. able to get past that but i for this one i just got hung up on it a little bit and it, it wasn't a huge deal it didn't detract from it too much for me but there were numerous times throughout the movie that i thought about it i did like how they handled the phone call near the end though like mm. how they showed it from one yes. side and the other yes. one perspective and then the other i liked that a lot because i did i did immediately think that okay he this phone call happened before the actual event that you see later happened. Right. I thought that this was just like him being, you know, like he's always thinking about it. Yeah, that's what I thought too. And then you see it later and you're like, oh, okay, so he just relived that moment. Yeah, exactly. That's why he made that call. Yep, that's that's what I thought too. So I that was probably one of my favorite sequences. But uh, Circles, check it out. I'm not sure about when this will be coming out, when it will be released. But if you're in New York... And you can go check it out at that film festival. I'd, I'd recommend it. Definitely. All right. Let's talk about Blue Ruin. So this is written and directed by Jeremy Saulnier. And I have a synopsis here. A mysterious outsider's quiet life is turned upside down when he returns to his childhood home to carry out an act of vengeance. Proving himself an amateur assassin, he winds up in a brutal fight to protect his estranged family. Now, I have a uh, review up on the site for this. We'll start with you, Kevin. What did you think of Blue Ruin? First, I want to point out this weird septian thing that's going on. So we did Ping Pong Summer by Michael Tully, which I didn't know until after I watched it. He was the the director of septian. Then I watched Blue Ruin and realized that Jeremy is the cinematographer for septian. And then all I'm hearing out of Tribeca is Summer of Blood, which is one of the actors from Septian. Hmm. So it's very bizarre. Plus, Sony is the, seems to be Matthew Porterfield's cinematographer, the guy that did Putty Hill and I Used to Be Darker. Mm-hmm. So going into it, I, I got a little more amped up when I did a little background check before I, I went into watching this film. And I was, I quite enjoyed myself. <laughs> one, of, one of the biggest things, and this is the reason why, I mean, how often do we talk about American indie films with shitty effects where they just don't have the fucking budget to do what they want to do and it comes out looking terrible? You have CGI blood, you have CGI fucking rocks for some reason. And as soon as the first kill happens in Blue Ruin where, you know, the guy gets stabbed in the side of the head and he's laying on the ground and blood spurting out. And I just, like, 
I wanted to applaud. Like, I just started clapping, and I'm like, that looks fucking real. Well, yeah, that's Bravo. the... That's one of the big things about this movie, is that the, the effects work is so freaking good. I mean, mm-hmm. everything looks so real, and it's not over-the-top violent, uh, no. like, for for the the entire runtime but when the violence does come it it is so visceral and cringeworthy because it looks so fucking real exactly and that's Which, that's one of the things that, that blew me away i mean i was i was fortunate enough to see this in the theater and like the whole time everybody in the crowd was like losing it over anything like the the arrow scene especially <laughs> the, the air again no, the the effects work in that department is just it's unbelievable. It looks like there's an arrow stuck in the man's yeah. leg. And, and the yeah. and just the the at the beginning when he cuts his hand on the knife mm-hmm. when they show his hand, I was like, holy shit! Did like did he really cut his hand for that mm-hmm. shot? I mean, it looks so real. And it's funny because he you know he goes into the the drugstore and he and he gets all all the stuff that he needs to take this arrow out fix himself up and you think yeah. it's going to be this awesome MacGyver sequence. And in my head, I'm thinking like, you know, uh, like getting an arrow ads, it's not easy. Like you can't do that on your own. And I just love the fact that it was so realistic afterwards that I was like, yep, it, that's exactly how I thought it would go. <laughs> yeah. You can't just fucking pull an arrow out. <laughs> you kidding me? Yep. Yep. And but I just love that. He was pretty resourceful though. I would say. He gave, he he tried his best. Bless his heart. He gave it a shot. It didn't Bless work his out. Heart. <laughs> he gave, you know he tried to stay away from the hospital, but he ultimately ended up having to go in. And I love the fact that he stumbles in and he says, "I have I had an accident on my leg." Yeah. <laughs> well, I guess it. I mean, but that's one thing that we can talk about is the humor in this movie. I one of the things I like the most about this movie is how darkly comedic it is i mean the the writing in this movie is the the dialogue is very funny and that was something Mm. that i didn't expect at all like even there's just it's not like there's jokes or anything but there's just these little tidbits that they put in there like the the scene when he first meets up with his sister and they're both crying and they're losing it and then the guy at the table next to him asks for the ketchup Like just the those little things where you're just like, oh my god. Uh, it is, and uh, I mean that's another thing to point out is there's not much dialogue in this film. Oh at no, all no, especially at the beginning. There, yeah, there's close to nothing, which I think is really suits it well. You know, it really amps up the the tension of what's playing out on screen. Is that you know there's no dialogue. It's just extended sequences of silence, mm-hmm. and, and uh, his character keeps making these sort of rookie mistakes when it comes to assassinating. Is that a word? <laughs> assassinating. <laughs> you know, just he keeps doing stuff, and you're like, "Oh, what are you doing?" But then when he finally does say something, it is it the way that it's delivered. It's so deadpan, and you can tell that he's been so you know disconnected from well, yeah, and, society and, right and that's <laughs> that he the just thing. has no idea how to interact with people anymore yeah and that, and that's exactly what would what it would be like 
I mean, if this movie were taking place in real life, if this was a, if this was a real life scenario, this is probably as close to being how it would really play out as yeah. as could be. Because, you know, he lives a life of solitude. There's there's no one. He doesn't interact with anyone. He no. doesn't talk. So when this event happens and he's put in a situation where he must start speaking again, it would be probably kind of awkward for him. Like he forgets how to communicate with people. And he had to, like, as the film went on, it was like he had to relearn how to have conversations. Yeah. You could tell that he was definitely struggling. And, And that brings me to talking about Macon Blair, who I think killed it in this movie. Oh my God. Number one, when he cleaned up, I was, was like, di- did, I was like, did they use two different actors? Yeah, it's a completely. He looked completely different. I I literally looked it up on IMDb. I was like, did they use two different actors that just sort of looked the same? Turns out they did not. They were the same person. It looked like what's his name from Jackass to begin with. Yeah. And the second one looked like Joe Lode Truglia. It's so funny because on my notes here, I wrote I wrote Ryan Dunn and then <laughs> and then an arrow and Nathan Lane. <laughs> 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 and then in parentheses I wrote awesome version of <laughs> oh my god oh, oh that's perfect <sighs> I have to say I again I don't know with in regards to Megan Blair um, I don't know if this is just more praise should go to maybe the, the casting director or if this is some sort of skill that Megan Blair has, but the emotiveness that is contained within Megan Blair's eyes mm-hmm. are just unbelievable. This, well, just looking at the man's eyes, you could tell that he was just an, emo- an emotionally shattered person. Yeah. Yep. So I don't know if he, if he was consciously doing that or if that's just like how his eyes are. I think he had to be. Because I mean, you can you can see it in his per- performance. I mean, he the the arc that his character takes is at least it was pretty clear to me. Like you can see him transforming. And I so think that, I, I will give it to Macon Blair is one of the he's he definitely gives the best eye performance I've seen this year. I thought he was he was excellent. And from from everything I read, it was really this project was really it was him and Jeremy Saulnier's kind of baby i mean this was yeah. like their thing i mean this is a this is a low budget movie it was made i think for less than 600 grand I, I, correct me if i'm wrong i think i've read a couple of places where i think he actually uh did he put it like a did he mortgage out his parents home yeah him and yeah that's american indie right there him and macon blair and i i would assume some of the other people involved they maxed out all their credit cards. Uh, they got a whole bunch of money together to make this, and then they were like, I think thirty-five thousand or fifty thousand short, and yeah. they took up a Kickstarter, and they mm-hmm. got the rest of the money through Kickstarter. And I gotta say, like, we've covered a lot of Kickstarter stuff on the show and on the site, and I don't think I've ever seen a Kickstarter project that's been quite this good. Yeah, this is uh, that's some Cassavetti shit right there. That's yeah. something that I can definitely pull. That that it, raises the stakes. You know, so that's all, why this movie comes out so good. Because so, there's shit at stake here. 
Right. So going back to what we said many times before, <laughs> if you're making your own movie and you don't have the budget you need, then do something about it. Get the money. Don't just make the movie. Either get the money or don't fucking make the movie. Because you know, this... if you if you don't have the balls to put up like your parents' home or to max out your credit cards or to effectively throw away your future to make a film, then you shouldn't be making a movie to begin with. Yeah, I agree. And I think that this is hopefully going to pay off for the I, people. God, I hope so. Because I want to see more. I can tell you right now I want to see more. Yeah, I mean, this this has played the festival circuit over the last year. It has been hailed by critics as one of the best, I think one of the best indies of the year. Like, it's got a 93% on Rotten Tomatoes right now. So it's playing in select cities and on video on demand. I, I'm really hoping that it does well, and I'm really hoping that people seek this movie out. Yeah. I don't, I don't know what they got <laughs> going on as far as, like, marketing. Unfortunately, I know that that's a huge factor in movies these days because if people don't know about this movie they're probably not going to see it yeah the good thing is a lot of the marketing materials that i've seen have been excellent like the uh, the different posters that they've released and things like that have been top notch so hopefully people will see it i I do want to i want to point out two more things I did. I thoroughly enjoyed what we were talking about. Some of the the comedic dialogue is when you know there's a guy trapped in the trunk and he's mm-hmm. you know yelling, "Let me out, motherfucker!" and all this and that, and just making Blair's response like, "Not until I have a gun." Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> for whatever reason, that just oh, that killed it for me. But then, on the flip side of you know his emotional ability is the very end where he's. Ah, I don't want to give too much away here, but when he's saying the keys are in the car, the mm-hmm. way that that whole sequence is done, I thought was brilliant. Yeah, I agree. Well, I thought that the revenge aspects of it, see, I'm a big fan of revenge thrillers. So right away, this was right up my alley. Mm-hmm. Visually, thought it looked amazing. Mm-hmm. I loved I loved all the camera work, all the cinematography I thought was fantastic. And... The interesting thing about this movie is that it is a pretty typical revenge story. I mean, this is we've we've seen revenge stories like this before, but just how it was presented felt new to me. I don't know why. Maybe it was just because of just how well made it was, but the there's just something about it that I was just fully invested in it the entire time. I think and, it, it might be and let me know what you think here is that usually when you go, these type of uh, revenge movies play out, is these people are so damn determined to get their revenge. And they're just like unstoppable forces and they'll stop at nothing. And they just, you know, they have one goal and they just hone their sights in, they take care of business. Whereas his character seems to be like, almost like a reluctant revenge where he's just like, I don't want to do this, but I really don't have anything else to do in my life. Right. So this will give me something to do. But you can tell that like as like he's not really getting any satisfaction out of this. No, it's just it seems like it's just something that he had to do. I mean, he yeah. had to avenge his his well, he had I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what's considered a spoiler, so. Yeah. He had to avenge He had to avenge people. Yeah. 
let's, but let's keep it at that. No, it's what did you think about people. what did you think about the the relationship that he had like with his his sister and that that whole aspect where he's trying to protect her and the way that she's acting towards him? What did you think of that? I thought it was all rather interesting because it does seem they don't really go in depth a lot with what happened and you know the vengeance that he's seeking out they just give you just just enough that you get the basic gist of what's fueling his revenge but at the same time you know they're talking about how he's just sort of left like he just abandoned everyone but you really mm-hmm. don't have any idea what that entails right. you know did like he just disappear and just completely go off the grid has he kept in touch with people is no one know where he is you, you know what i mean there's just there's so much that's left unanswered that when he does come back into his sister's life there's a lot of things going on but none of it's really you know explained to you yeah and there's not a lot of questions that are answered yeah there's there's very little uh there's very little information about what happened to cause him to become a beach bum, basically. Yeah, and it's like, it did, did that happen immediately after the incident? Or did it happen years later? You know, was this a gradual breakdown, emotional shattering? Or was it like right off the bat, he's just became this broken person? It seemed to me like he, when the event occurred, he instantly became broken because that's my guess too there's the the scene when they're talking and she says you know you still have a box of your stuff there and uh there's still like you know forty eight hundred dollars whatever that she said uh, with the estate so that leads me to believe that as soon as it happened he was like peace and just disappeared peace him out can't do it so i i think that that's probably what happened He they he does a great job of showcasing the whole eye for an eye leaves the whole world blind type mindset. Yeah, and the the little twist that occurs, I guess it's a twist that that occurs at the end was a really interesting addition too. Yeah, because even though you might be taking out these terrible people that have hurt you, there's someone else. There's some ancillary you know, member of mm-hmm. that person's family that is a complete innocent victim that you could end up shattering and breaking their whole existence, really. So yeah. I thought that that was a nice touch at the end there. It's almost, it almost felt cyclical in nature. But at the same time, I also felt like they made a point to let us know that this person is not like the rest of them. And mm-hmm. it seems like he didn't even care when... Mm-hmm when he found out that the one was killed. So I don't think that it's, I don't think that there's going to be a blue ruin two where he's hunting down, you know, making Blair's family or whatever, but let's hope not at least. (laughs) Yeah, no, I'm, I'm not on board for that. Well, I gave blue ruin an eight and a half out of 10 since I rewatched it. I'm into, I might Uh have to bump it. Oh my goodness! I might have to give it a bump. Oh shit! But I'm gonna sit with it for a little while. I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with an eight and a half. You're sticking with the eight and a half. I think I'm. I'm gonna go seven and a half. Seven and a half, solid. I think that I think I'm a solid seven and a half. What'd you think about Buzz's performance? Buzz. Buzz from Home Alone. I 
I really wanted him, and again, this is because of Nebraska. I wanted him to critique the fact that it took him so long to get to his house. <laughs> I just, like I wanted that to pop back up. <laughs> like oh. you know what I mean? Like some sort of like reference to Nebraska, where he's like, "Where'd you come from?" And then he would say, and he would say how long it took him, and he would just laugh and make fun of him for the rest of the movie. But unfortunately, that did not happen. No, I actually wanted Buzz to be in it a little bit more. I, I liked his character a lot. But I do have to say that it was replaced with a man losing half of his face. Uh, yeah. Uh, I don't want to give that scene away, but I was completely taken by surprise and shocked yes. at that scene. And the way that they shot that was incredible. And again, the effects work on that, it looked like a <laughs> man fucking lost half of his face. <laughs> oh, God. What an ugh, amazing. And again, that's what this is what I'm talking about. It's not that hard to do. You can do it. You can do realistic effects. Yeah. And, and this is a very low budget movie, too. So, you know, they they did everything. I mean, I, there was some CG work in that scene, I believe, but, may, well, yeah, there had there had to be. But either but it, way, it's, it looks good. incredible. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's good CGI. The fact that I'm questioning it lets yes. me know that it's good. So, Blue Ruin, highly recommend checking that out. Rent it on demand. If it's playing in your area, I would say go see it in the theater because you'll be pretty blown away by it. Yeah, I wish I, I, wish I got to see this in the theater. Yeah, it was, it was crazy. Just, I mean... The, seeing it on the big screen and the the sound is actually really good in this movie too and just being able to witness everything is it was great all right let's go over some predictions Ooh, can i point out something real quick yeah because a lot of times we talk about shitty movie reviews you know we like to point them out especially the last one we did was the under under the skin review which was god awful but I would like to take the time to point out a good movie review. And I thought it apropos because of your, I saw your tweet saying that no one wanted to review the other woman. Yeah. Which came out. <laughs> Linda Holmes's review on NPR. You have to read it. I will. For, for the other woman. It, it, it kind of makes me want to watch the movie because she just tears it apart so perfectly. <laughs> it's such, it's such an entertaining read. I mean, honestly, if you haven't read it yet, I thought you were going to say it that, that it was. She made it sound like a movie you want to see because no, it, she made no, it sound good. No, she destroyed <laughs> it. She destroyed it, and it's very entertaining. It's very, very funny. Definitely check it out. Yeah, I will. I will read that. Uh, so the other woman, I predicted thirty-two or thirty-five. You predicted thirty-two. Actual twenty-five on that one. Brick Mansions. Uh, I said 25, you said 37, actual 29. Mm. Oh, that is rough weekend. <laughs> uh, the limited release movies Lock came out. That got an yeah. 89. And Blue Ruin, like I said, got a 93. So Lock, unfortunately, is not on demand. But if it's playing in your area, probably want to check that one out too heard heard nothing but good things i must say that i like this though i like the fact that we're talking about two movies opening up wide release getting just shit reviews 20 percent each blue ruin vod release high ratings 
I like well, it. I that's, hope it keeps that's, going this way. Right. See, that's that's one interesting thing <clears> about the where we're going, the evolution of video on demand. Because before, if you remember, even when we started doing Film Pulse, it was like video on demand releases were garbage. They were like garbage it was, releases. It was the straight. It was the straight to DVD releases that they were like, "Hey, let's let's throw it out." Like, yeah. Or getting like an extra special thing. Yeah, before, nothing, you know, like nothing a week good before it comes out on DVD. And now it's like every week, almost every week, there's something yeah. that gets released yeah. on video on demand that I want to see. Yes. So like. a filth, filth came out on video on demand this weekend as well, which I haven't watched that yet. I might watch it today, but it's awesome. I love it. It's uh, so next week we have Spider Man Two, the amazing Spider Man Two. Amazing Spider Man Two. What are you thinking on this one? Mm, 67 I don't really care about this one I didn't care about the other one but I'll still go see it just for the heck of it I did hear that there's a post credit stinger at the end of this one that is for X-Men which I think is interesting because it's two different studios I guess they're doing some sort of cross marketing campaign the only only thing that I saw from or what I gathered from the trailers, it seems like there's there's too many villains in this one. Yeah, that's that's one so, thing that like, a lot of people are worried about, just because it looks like they packed in a lot of villains in this one. Like, do you have enough time for all of that? The last one, I had I had some issues with the last one as well. Like, there were certain things that they just kind of left hanging, and it was a lot of it was just kind of ridiculous, but. I didn't hate it. It wasn't a bad movie. It just was meh, you know? Meh. Meh. I'm going to say 69 on The Amazing Spider-Man 2. Uh, next week, we also have Walk of Shame. I bet you're excited <laughs> for that one. <laughs> I just love the silence. <laughs> Walk of Shame. Nothing. Crickets. Crickets. Um, I think that this movie looks really bad like the trailer for this i don't know if you mm, saw the trailer yeah. it's terrible mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. i don't know if the movie's actually not funny or if it's just the trailer that's not funny but well it's usually i mean how many times have you seen a trailer that was not funny and the film turned out to be funny right, exactly whereas the trailer's really funny and the film has turns out to not be funny right well i'm gonna say 32 on walk of shame <clears throat> i'm gonna say I don't know. Do I want to go over under? Mm, I'm going to go 30. 30? Okay. Yeah, I think it's going to be pretty bad. Also, in limited release next week, we have Blood Blood Glacier, which I'm actually interested to see. Kind of looks like a... Kind of looks like John Carpenter's The Thing. Mm. Looks very interesting. Low-budget indie horror. Uh, Bell, which I know you're excited for. Period piece. Ooh. I'm all over those period pieces. Tony Ja in The Protector 2 coming out next week. Not excited for that either. What's uh what's he protecting this time? Probably elephants cuz I think that's what he protected in the first one. Oh, he's I'm protecting my, elephants? Unless I'm getting my Tony Jaws mixed up. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty sure the protector was elephants. Is um, he protecting was, Is he protecting Riza? Protecting Riza? That'd be great. Yeah, I would maybe. enjoy that. Protecting Rizza from people hating brick mansions. <laughs> Protecting him from critics. Oh, God, that'd be awesome. Uh, we also have The Bachelor Weekend, 
That sounds like a romp. Ida, which I heard pretty good things about. I actually, I do want to see Ida. I'm looking forward to this one. Another one you're probably looking forward to is Bad Johnson. <sighs> you don't even know. I watched it this weekend. <laughs> I just didn't want to. I just didn't want to talk about it because I didn't want people to judge me. But I know damn, Ryan's excited for that one. Damn, was it good? I know he's he's really excited for it. Fucking hook, Botko, hook, Botko, killing it, killing it. Uh, we also have Beneath the Harvest Sky, which that hasn't gotten great reviews, but I was kind of interested in that one. That sounds very familiar. It's like a, you know, rural decay. <laughs> so, I'll check it out. The old AP special. Yep. Mr. Jones, which is a found footage horror film that I'm sure that we'll, we'll yeah. be reviewing. <laughs> Fuck yeah. Is it a remake of the Richard Gere movie? Yeah, I don't know. I don't think so. Uh, also... In limited release, we have Documented, which I don't know too much about, and Friended to Death. It just looks like one of those kind of generic VOD. Well, he's comedies. a social he's a social media junkie who fakes his own death via social media. Yeah, it's just uh, to see which one of his friends, air quotations, will show up to the funeral, and he's got one of those mustaches. Yeah. Man. Ryan and I met that dude at South by at that AT&T event. That sounds fun. Yep. Well, no comment. <laughs> <laughs> Next week on DVD and Blu-ray, we have Devil's Due found footage horror. Some, some found Jesus footage horror for you. Christ, when will it end? Never. Never going to end. Uh, Escape from Tomorrow, which... Wow, that took a while. Yeah, that did actually. Very light recommend on that. Just just to see how they were able to shoot in Disney Disney World and get away with it. Yeah. The movie itself not great. Yeah. Labor Day. Oh, yikes. Oh boy. Hercules 3D. Ugh. The Rocket. Mm, the Selfish Giant, which I do recommend. I d- yeah. And our vinyl weighs a ton, which I also recommend, especially if you're a fan of Stone's Throw Records. Which you should be. Which you should be, of course. You better be, honestly. So, pretty light week as far as DVD and Blu-ray. <laughs> Anything coming on the Criterion front? We have one Criterion, El Sorpasso from Dino Risi, which is uh, the ultimate Italian road comedy, apparently, from uh, which is what Criterion says. Hmm. From 1962, black and white, the ultimate Italian road comedy. Sort of, uh, kind of appears to be one of these uh, odd couple type road oh. comedies. Sounds Mad- hilarious. Madcap trip from Rome to Tuscany. Oh unpredictable boy. journey that, it says careers. It says an unpredictable journey that careers from slapstick to tragedy. I think it wants to say careers. <laughs> Koreans from Slapstick to Tragedy. This film, directed by Dino Risi, is wildly entertaining. Well, that's we'll... that's Criterion's words, not mine. I guess we'll have to find out. I think that that will wrap it up for all the latest film news and reviews. Visit us at filmpulse.net. Send us your questions to podcastfilmpulse.net. Be sure to we'll be sure to answer them on the show. Follow us on Twitter at filmpulse.net and. Be sure to rate us on iTunes. We appreciate that very much. For FilmPulse.net, my name is Adam. And I'm Kevin. And we'll see you on Thursday for Ryan Watches a Movie.
Mr. Banks? Mr. Banks. <laughs> <laughs> oh, can't get... Is that, is that what it was? Mr. Banks? Uh, I'm pretty sure. Saving Mr. Banks? Saving Mr. Banks. I think you are correct. No, that's... <laughs> no, that's the Tom Hanks one. <laughs> that's the Disney one. <laughs> I knew that. I was like, okay. I thought it was oh. Mr. Jones. Oh, what's... Now I can't even remember his name. Not Gear. Who, who did you just say? Costner. What? I couldn't remember Kevin Costner's name. Costner. Oh. Oh, now an IMDb is not working. Oh, what is the movie you were talking Mr. about? Mr. Brooks. Mr. Mr. Brooks. <laughs> yes. Yes. Oh, wow. That took a while to get there, but we did it. 